And so um, we are continuing on um, in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take the offering during the song of response, so we're changing things up just a little bit, Vic. Um, um, Actually, church, I think that this is probably more what church looked like um, in the early church, is where being spirit-led and um, the voices of the people, sharing things that would encourage one another, praying for one another, and we're going to hear more about that. Otherwise, I'll start dipping into Pastor Dave's sermon for next week. But I um, want to um, continue on in Acts 2. And we're going to start with verse 14, where Peter starts to address the crowd. As you'll remember, the, um, there was a sound like a rushing wind. People all started expressing in heavenly and in known languages the praises of God. It gathered the attention of the neighborhood, Um, thousands of people, it gathered their attention. So something drastic and wonderful was going on. And so then all of a sudden, um, there's this accusation that maybe they're all drunk. There's just uh, too much exuberant joy going on. And so um, Peter stands up. And so we're at Acts 2, starting with 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And that addressed in the um, Greek would be enthusiastically spoke to. So this isn't a fear thing. Remember last week, um, Pastor Dave's example of standing up for something that was right and the whole idea of what happened in China. Remember, and and the people that stood up, but there was this great fear in standing up. And... um, Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit so that he's enthusiastic to get up and give an answer for what's going on. So he raises his voice, there's no microphones, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. If you've ever listened to Charles Stanley, he likes to say, now listen, listen. All right, so let's listen to what Peter said to them. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, which means bringing messages from the Lord, remember? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, 
which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the true living word of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, when Peter stood up, He stood up enthusiastic because he had been empowered. He had waited for the gift of the Holy Spirit 
to receive power. And one of the things that um, that empowerment did was to make him bold to speak about Jesus. And I hope you heard in the tone in which I read it that he speaks through the filter of love because God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. And so he's saying, listen carefully, listen carefully. Fellow Israelites, fellow people, associating himself with those people and encouraging them to call out to be saved. Now, um, I looked back through the book of Luke, and there were about 19 references to Peter. And I didn't find Peter to be a stellar speaker before this empowerment. I'm just saying. Um, He did say, you are the Messiah, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? But other than that, he... um, like at the transfiguration, he was like, uh, let's set up some tents. Um, when he went to the empty tomb, he went away wondering and scratching his head, believing, but yet, how can this be? Um, he, it was, um, he wasn't that articulate. He was a fisherman. When Jesus called him, he was a fisherman. Now, I don't know if you've spent any time in a boat with fishermen, but they don't usually like to talk much. Shh. You don't want to scare the fish, you know. And so I just can imagine that Peter probably wasn't a big talker. And um, if you know anything about public speech and speaking, um, I read a little report from Psychology Today that um, like 75% of people are afraid of public speaking and that some people fear speaking in public more than they do even death. And so the idea of getting up and speaking, let alone speaking to thousands of people, and then in an environment where what he says, you know, the Roman rule might just come after him next. And then there's the Israelites who have rejected Jesus and have not understood that that was the Messiah. But Peter stands up to give a speech, not a planned speech, Think about speech class. How many of you took speech class? Yeah? All right. In speech class, you learn that communication is important, and you want to start with something that will kind of catch your audience, you know, and pull them in and make some um, identification so they can kind of relate to one another. And then you want to um, be coherent. You want to be going somewhere with your speech. You want to give some illustrations. And then you want to close with something that's going to kind of draw it all together. Peter did not have a chance to write the biggest speech of his life. We just watched some speeches. I imagine you probably caught some of it, the inauguration speech. There have been other speeches, responses um, to the inauguration. There's been a, a huge march in this country, and we listen on TV, and not everybody does so well with just, you know, getting the mic in front of them. Would you agree? You know, they don't always make a good point. Um, here we go, Peter is up, and he's got this opportunity. And like Rick, you said, you've been praying for opportunities to talk about Jesus. He had been waiting and praying for the gift that would be given so that he could speak about Jesus because his disciples had this mission to go and speak about Jesus, but they would need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Well, what you see in this text 
is that Peter gives an amazing speech. He starts with where they're at, either um, accusing them of being drunk or asking the question, what's going on? And so he, he meets his audience right where they're at, and then he leads them towards the truth. And so he starts and says, no, not drunk. Um, and let me tell you, listen carefully, let me tell you that this is all about the Holy Spirit. And he goes to the prophet Joel, which these are um, Jews that were from all around the area. Actually, if you take a, um, oh, I don't know, what are those things with their little point and compass? A protractor. You know, Jerusalem's in the middle and then you draw a circle around it. If you look at all the cities, it was absolutely to the north, the south, the east, and the west. There were people from all those areas. And he stands up and he starts to speak. And he starts to um, speak as one who's a Galilean. And so that would be, I, no offense against Sparta, but like if, if it was somebody from Sparta that was speaking at um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Alumni Association or something, you know, so like kind of Hickville maybe, I, Sparta, please forgive me. But, you know, um, you know, or maybe further out in the country than Sparta, all right? But somebody that's maybe, they're looked on, you know, there's just this stereotype, you know? And so Peter is one of those stereotyped guys that they aren't expecting to say much. And like, who is he? And yet when he starts to say, Joel said, the prophet Joel, well, they all are Israelites and they all um, believe that that's an authoritative word. Excuse me. And so he draws them from where they're at and he starts to bring them towards Joel and explain that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Wait a minute, they would all know if the Holy Spirit was poured out, it would be because the Messiah had come. But no, we haven't seen the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? And so then he starts to quote, and this is the most amazing text if you um, look, maybe your Bible indents some of this, so like it's going along and then it indents it, or my Bible makes, one of my Bibles makes it bold, but he quotes from three different Old Testament passages in this speech, in this talk. So the Holy Spirit, remember what God said that um, he would take out our hearts of stone and put in a heart of flesh, and he would put the word on our hearts? It's evidence of that, you guys, because Peter is quoting scripture right and left. And so he's going from Joel, and then he's going to Psalm 110, and he's going to another psalm, and he's, he's quoting scripture in this, weaving it together in this beautiful way to try to explain the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And so, therefore, we see this joy that's happening, that Psalms talked about this joy. My tongue will rejoice. I'll I'll rejoice in my Savior. And then he goes to this psalm that talks about uh, the king with judgment and the enemy being made a footstool. And so he's saying the spirit has been poured out. Jesus actually was the Messiah, and he's now at the Father's right hand. The spirit has been poured out. And there will be judgment to come. It says um, he'll put the, his um, enemies like a footstool, and that's kind of an unusual terminology for us. But back in those days, they had this thing that if you could put your foot on something, you could claim it. All right? So if you saw a penny on the ground, I mean, they didn't have pennies, but whatever, the coin, you put your foot on it, that's yours. 
All right, so this idea of putting your foot on something, you could claim it. But then the idea that you would put your enemies under your feet, they actually, the kings would have um, these ornate wooden carved footstools that would show servants in in, um, chains and they would be in bondage. So their enemies would be in bondage and underneath their authority. And it would be a real visual. Wouldn't it be a visual if you went in to um, court and the judge was sitting with a picture of you under his feet in chains? Intimidation, right? Right? All right, but he's saying there is going to be justice and Jesus is going to be the judge. And I imagine they're thinking, and we just killed him. And in case they weren't thinking it, Peter made it clear. But he didn't do the pointing, like if you've ever heard of like pointing a finger and then there's three back at you or whatever. He was saying, you have killed him, but he spoke it in a tone that they would understand that he knew he had blown it too. But he's already received forgiveness, and he's inviting them to receive forgiveness. And so the tone in which he says this, it's, he speaks with authority, which is a sign that the Holy Spirit has anointed him for this speech. He speaks very clearly and eloquently. He quotes from Scripture. The Holy Spirit's always going to go back to the authority of Scripture. It, it, the speech exalts Jesus. Holy Spirit's always going to be pointing to Jesus. And then he calls him, repent and be baptized. When they're cut to the heart, it means they were in great emotional distress. They were convicted of their sin. And they said, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do when we're convicted of sin? We're to repent. What does that word repent mean? It means a U-turn. It means if you're going this way and you get convicted of it, you're supposed to turn and go this way. So whichever way you're going, if you're going away from God and away from his right living and you're convicted, the invitation is turn around and come back because God loves you. And so to the Israelites who have been a part and we all have been an accomplice to putting Jesus on that cross because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We all are responsible for putting Jesus on this cross. And he's saying, repent and be baptized. And the gift of the Spirit you'll receive as well. To be Spirit-embodied people, to be people of the Spirit, is what the Christian life is all about. Because we're Christians. And that word Christ, Jesus Christ, is Christ is not his last name. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. And so we share in Christ's anointing. We are Christians. And so to be receive the promise of the Holy Spirit is to be one that is anointed by the same Holy Spirit as Christ and to be received into the inheritance and the goodness of joy and love and peace, all those things that accompany the kingdom of God. He's inviting them back into relationship and to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. And what happens when he is bold, speaks the truth in love, speaks the authority of Scripture, 
which God gave him on the fly. He did not spend the last number of days writing a speech. He spent it in prayer. Take note of that. He spent it in prayer and in the community of the other believers. The Lord gave him this, these words to encourage and build up and strengthen. And God grows the church. By how many people? 3,000. So 3,000 people being baptized that day. They say that if all 12 apostles were involved in the baptism, and they started at about noon, because remember they got accused of being drunk around 9, so if he finishes up his speech and they start the baptisms, all 12 apostles are involved before sundown. That would mean they would baptize, each of them would baptize 46 people per hour all the way until time for the sundown. Church, can you picture that? Can you picture that? And that's, I believe, the Lord wants to pour out his spirit again and again and again and to see people coming to Christ and to see people saying, I'm sorry for my sin. My um, Jesus' blood covers my sin I want to receive this, um, when you're converts and you haven't been baptized before, I want to receive this sign and symbol of the Holy Spirit living in me because I've received this gift and I'm asking for the fullness of these gifts of the Spirit. And can you imagine seeing over and over people being baptized and sharing testimonies and seeing the church grow? The church grows in quantity as the Lord wants to build it. It also, the Lord grows the church in quality. It's a quantitative and a qualitative growth that happens when they're obedient to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The quality of the church changes because the people, the believers, have taken these steps of faith and obedience and have seen the power of God in their lives and they're encouraged. And then they know even more God's promises for them are true. Rick, I'm picking on you a little bit, but you shared this beautiful story of sharing the gospel. And so when you were bold to step out in faith at the um, gas station, right? All right, now you come home and you know, God was faithful to me. He gave me some words to share. He brought some scripture. He had already kind of primed my mind. I had some scripture to share. Ron, where are you? Where did Ron go? There, Ron. Ron. You shared about being given words to build up and encourage your daughter. And so what does that mean for you? You prayed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Lord gave these words, these prophetic words, these hope-filled words, these loving words, patience, right? And you think, God's work is alive. He's alive and active in my life. I'm a different man than I was five years ago. Lindsay, you're a different mom because you prayed for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Lord sees his children asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he helps us to do things that are signs. Remember what a sign was? Remember I said a sign like on the highway tells you turn left or turn right to go to Lansing? Right? Our lives collectively and individually, are meant to be signs that are saying, there is a God, and Jesus is, the, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. 
And you can live this joyful life, even despite the circumstances. Hazel, it's been hard. Others, it's been hard. There are hard things. These disciples, these apostles, these followers of Jesus, their circumstances didn't change. But man, were they happy. They were overflowing with joy. Why? Because they had this revelation of who Jesus was. And I believe that our prayer today is that Jesus would just continue to reveal himself. Give us a revelation of the goodness that he has actually saved us from our sins, that he's given us the hope of new life in him, a forever life with him, and even in this life and in the hard situations, that the way he guides us through his word will help bring more and more peace and more and more joy even into our lives, even if the circumstances don't change. But we know he's with us. He's with us. Moses had said back, I think it was in Numbers, um, he had taken some of his leaders and the spirit was going to be placed upon them and they would prophesy Well, there were two extras that stayed back in the camp, but they started prophesying, and young Joshua comes and goes, aren't you going to tell him to stop it? And he's like, no, I wish the Lord would put his spirit on all people and that they would all prophesy. Well, you know, Paul, he said, you know, I want you to be eager for spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Friends, Pastor Dave and I, the board members of this church, are not jealous and want just a few people to prophesy, we are saying, Lord, pour out your spirit. Give us all messages that can encourage, build up, strengthen the church, and also bless the neighborhood and point them to Jesus. And so it's in Jesus' name that they're going to find hope and truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we want to speak. And so let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the blessing of um, those early followers of Jesus and how you poured out your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that that same spirit is alive and at work in us today. And again today we say, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Gift us with supernatural speech to be able to prophesy, to bring messages of hope, encouragement, and truth to build up and strengthen, to teach and encourage one another and our community and the world. Jesus, be glorified, we pray in your name. Amen. We'll give her offerings. Yeah. I just come back to that accusation that they were drunk. Um, And I think of the reason why that accusation was given, because there was so much joy. And... (laughs) If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know that joy, it's not your experience. You can't say, Jesus has set me free. Jesus has forgiven me. He's come into my heart. 
Today's the day the Lord is speaking to you. You've heard the message of Jesus through Pastor Gina. And I would just invite that if that's you and you're sitting here this morning, you say, I need this new life. I need forgiveness of sins. I need hope. We're going to have prayer partners standing right here and right here after the service. And I invite you to come up and say, lead me to Jesus. Help me come to him and him into me. Church family, um, I think of these words when I think of God's blessing on us. They come from 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, the Lord bless you to contemplate His glory. The Lord bless you to be transformed, changed more and more, to be like Jesus Christ And the Lord bless you with the freedom that is in Jesus as you go and represent him in this world. Amen.